Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. How we doing, boys? Great. Good to, uh, good to be with you, boys. I'm out in the desert, and uh, man, this is one of my favorite places on earth, so fun to be out here. I'm doing well, but I'm a little jealous of Ben. I think his his lunch options today are a little better than mine. <laughs> I mean, we going sliders, Ben, or what? Buddy, I mean, the answer is yes. At Madison Club, you just say yes to everything. <laughs> I mean, you, if you say no, you are really doing yourself a major disservice. Have you ever thought about fasting and losing a bunch of weight before you go to Madison so you can just throw it right back on with no guilt? I've thought about it, but I want my stomach to stay as expanded as possible to let in as much as I can. <laughs> That's a good thought. <laughs> That's a good thought. I like that. It's it's all about discipline, you know? It is. The Madison Club, the food here, the Sunday night dinners, the food here is just maybe the best in the world. Mm. Uh, shout out to Chef Rodney. It's just the sushi buffet, the the sliders. It's, it's just uh, elite. Hey, Quick side note, I was at Madison two weeks ago, and Ben was nice enough to let me charge some sushi to his account. Well, I just ordered a couple rolls, a couple pieces of nigiri. Well, when he hands me the to-go box, I get it one-handed, and by the time I got to the car, my right bicep started to cramp. This thing was 15 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I ate sushi from Palm Desert all the way back to Pasadena. I mean, so so good. Um, well, boys, we got a we got a serious policy issue to deal with today. Uh oh. Last week we made our picks for the Sony Open, and Ben really confidently gave us some categories that you need to think through when you're making picks. It's either horses for courses or who's on a heater. Well, what Ben, ben picked a guy who's on a heater, Seamus Power. Here's the only problem. Seamus Power was not in the field last week. We never came I up with a looked, penalty for that. Well, he definitely didn't make the cut. I mean, that's at least $10 to each guy, and it might be a higher penalty than that. Oh, I mean, are we throwing out WD fines? I, I mean, mean like, that can't be on me. The fact that I heard him on a podcast saying how much he loves Sony, this and that, and the other, how he's playing great. And I'm like, well, of course he's playing. I mean, so maybe he got hurt. Now, I, I don't know. I think I need to have a $10 bill in my mailbox for that. <laughs> Go to the uh, bank. Oh, man. The $10 bill. It's like 20s might be a little easier, guys, but let's just make it hard with 10s. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a $2 a two dollar institution too you know like it's hard to get two dollar bills that is True. so funny are um, we gonna do picks this week willie yeah we're gonna do picks this week but before we do uh weber um Polly helped you quite a bit last week i know you didn't have the week that you wanted but how did Polly yeah. add value to you last week yeah so caddies have various jobs you know from cleaning our golf balls and clubs to yardages to you know telling us we got you know, a booger we need to get out of the way. I mean, they do everything. They're great. They're great friends. So I'm I'm going to miss the cut. Once I miss my birdie putt on seven, uh, looks like I have to go eagle eagle to make the cut. And Paulie's over there on his phone on eight. I got a six-footer for par, and he's kind of digging into his phone. And he gives me the old come here message. So I go over there. He goes, 
with big eyes. He goes, you need to book your flight out of here tonight right now. There's one seat left. So I start laughing. I'm like, oh, no. What about tomorrow morning? You know, I'm fine staying tonight and getting out in the morning. He goes, the next flight after tonight is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And, I mean, to the listeners, there might not be anything worse than missing the cut than you can't get out when you miss the cut. Like, that's just the worst. I mean, if Sony had a great range and facility, sure, (laughs) I'll go practice. I'll grind. But it's so tight. It's so tight, isn't it? Even after the cut, you know that you might not be able to find a spot, and you certainly don't want to take a spot from someone who's playing the weekend when you're right. sitting there over there grinding. Right. You don't want to do that. So walk into eight, I pull out my yardage book you know, to disguise my phone, and I start typing away at American Airlines, and I get to the last step, and both guys in my group had already hit. It's my turn to hit. So I hand Polly <laughs> the phone. Hand Polly my phone. I say, hey, finish booking for me, and I go up. Start digging in my pocket for a tee. I don't have a tee. So I walk back <laughs> off the other like, Polly, let me get a tee as if I'm in fourth grade. <laughs> he throws me a tee. I finished it out. And uh, Polly and I got out that night. So, you know, it was tough to miss a cut, but thankful Polly started thinking. I mean, veteran move there to go ahead and book it. Yeah. Man. So, That's just great cat in. Great yeah, cat in. Yeah. Well. Sadly, I hope to have $20 by maybe Thursday from both of you boys. <laughs> total, 20 total. <clears throat> and my man, Will Gordon, was trending nicely going into uh, Sunday and then stumble on Sunday. Hey, my pick was Spieth, right? Last week? No, who, yeah, who was my pick you, last week? No, you, well, you picked Morikawa at uh, Century. Oh, I picked myself. And you picked yourself. <laughs> I mean, that is that a whole other kind of penalty? Hey, how bad, how bad is having to pay 10 on yourself? Yes, so bad. And, and the worst part is you waste you the first week of the year. <laughs> it's true. You can't come back. All right, I'll get my ten in the mail. Um. All right. Well, let's let's go to the desert. Okay. Um, I think I picked first last week. So, one of you boys want to pick I'll, first? I'll pick first. I'm going to go with um, local favorite, a Madison Club member, um, playing some great golf. Has oh, not like won on, Has not won on the PGA Tour. But he uh, is a friend, and he's a great professional. Maverick McNeely. Mm. Oh, that's a good pick. That's a solid pick. Hey, and he just had a good week, too. Birdie the last for a top 10. Hey, fun fact about Maverick. Had dinner with him last week. He's finishing up getting his pilot's license. I mean, I mean you wow. know you're dialed when you just do that in your spare time. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Willie, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. I'm going to go with uh, – our buddy Aaron Baddeley. Oh, Bads has gone. Bads has gone back to back top tens, wow. and you know what? I'm just I'm rooting for him. I'm I'm betting a little bit with my heart, but he's playing well, so I'm going Aaron Baddeley. Love that. Um, a guy in his mid forties who Ben knows very well. I love this guy. I'm gonna take Stewie Sink. Wow, I love that. Great. Stewie Sink that. playing solid, motivated. I'm going right, to hang out with Stuart Sink, Stuart Sink today at the Discovery Foundation event. Oh, nice. Tell him I picked him. I will. As if that'll alter his <laughs> his plan. You think he's going to shift around his game plan? I think <laughs> he's going to start trying now. They try harder. You know what, yeah. But I think, I think we just take it right at this one. Webb picked me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um 
All right. Hey, can I ask Ben a quick question, real quick? Yeah. Ben, I have such a desire to do this in a tournament, but I want to know if you've ever done it. Have you ever played one round where no matter the club or the hole or any pin location, you're going right at it every time? Not even, not even close, no. Now, don't you agree, Paulie and I were talking about this, the time to do it is when you're in about 55th going into Sunday. And it could be that round where you flush it and shoot 10 under. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love I love that. I've never <laughs> thought about that. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. That's just fun thought for the day. All right, quick tip for the uh for the viewers. Um one of the things that is trending on the PJ Tour more than anything else is club head speed and we're always looking for ways to carry the ball further. Fun fact, um every 10 yards um, and driving distance is worth a third of a stroke per round. So mm-hmm. um, someone who's 30 yards longer than someone else is one stroke ahead before they tee off. Um, fun little fun little fact. Um, okay, so one sure way to get club head speed. There's a bunch of things that Webb and I have tried with um, Greg Rose and Sasha McKenzie's um, been absolutely amazing. We go through these different things to try on club head speed. One thing. I find works for almost everybody is the faster you move the club in the backswing, the more you're going to engage um, the stretch shortening cycle and you're going to be able to swing faster on the downswing. So and one every, of the best ways, of course, everybody knows what the stretch shortening cycle is. We won't even explain that. I, I thought I'd throw that in there. See if I could get a little something out of you guys. Sound really smart. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I heard it once, and I thought, man, it sounds real nice. Um, so Sounds like a laundry kind of term. <laughs> it makes your body more elastic. Let's put it that way. So one thing you can do is as you're taking your backswing is really to push off the left side, if you're right-handed, the lead side, um, with a lot of pressure to sling the club back as fast as you can, and that's almost a sure way to um, get the club moving faster in the downswing. All right. Love that. You heard it here first. Thank you, Ben. Stretch shortening cycle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, fellas, we're continuing uh, to look at Jesus as we start this new year. Last fall, we looked at at who he is, what he did, what he was like. We're continuing to look at him this year um, by asking a slightly different question. We're asking, what did he teach? What was his message when he gave instruction? And we're answering this question by looking at a number of his parables. So we saw last week that parables are extended analogies that help us understand a truth. Or as one author says, they're stories with intent. And so last week, the story Jesus told highlighted the value of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's worth sacrificing anything to gain it. And today we come to maybe the most famous parable there is, one of the best stories that's ever been told. It's a favorite for all three of us. So today we're looking at the story of the prodigal son found in Luke 15, 11 to 32. So Ben, would you pray for our time? And then Webb, you can read for us. I will. Lord God, thanks um, for your love and your care. And thanks for the way you illuminate yourself through scripture, Lord. There's just um, so much here. And the prodigal son, Lord, and we want to um, bring it into our hearts and um, understand it, um, what the point is that you're trying to get across to us. So we're just grateful um, for your word. Lord, thanks for this time with my friends. We ask Mm -hmm. you bless it in Christ's name. Amen.
Mm-hmm. Amen. All right, to the listeners, I would love if y'all take 10 seconds to just think about the first attributes that come to your mind when you think of the Father. Just 10 seconds. All right, take those 10 seconds of thoughts, and then let's compare them to what we find out in the passage today. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found amen thanks buddy yeah all right so let's let's get our feet on the ground before we start breaking down this parable here um when it comes to interpreting parables what single factor do you think can most help us arrive at what Jesus intended? Any thought? Who's his audience? Yeah. It, I think specifically that, if, if we broaden that a little bit, we would just say, what's the context? Mm. What, what's happening? What's going on? Who's he talking to? Um, and so in verses 1 and 2, which we didn't read, but right at the very beginning of this chapter, what is, what's the audience and occasion for these parables that Jesus tells. Who's he talking to? Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Yeah, and then read verse 2 also, bud. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and even eats with them. Okay, so you got two groups right away, right? You got tax collectors and sinners who are drawn near to Jesus, and then you got Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, who are 
grumbling about it. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's who he's telling this story to. It's going to be important um, that we see that as we start to interpret the parable. And then the, the prodigal son comes as the third of three consecutive parables. The first one's about a lost sheep uh, that's found. The second one is about a lost coin that's found. And they're, they're almost identical, those two parables. And you find the, the point of those parables in verses 6 and 7 and then, eight, or, and then 9 and 10. And what's, what's the idea for those first two parables? There's been a lost treasure and there's celebration when it's found. Yeah, it's an invitation for people to come and rejoice that something lost has been found. And, it, and Jesus says this is actually how heaven uh, reacts when a sinner returns home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the backdrop for the story of the prodigal son. And so we want to read it in context. It's going to help us understand the point that Jesus is trying to make. Um, and when we get to the, the story itself, we're right away introduced to three characters. There's a younger son, there's an older son, and there's a father. And what's interesting is uh, Luke, or really, Jesus tells the story, Luke writes it down, but one paragraph is given to each of the three characters. So we'll kind of take one portrait at a time and, and observe what we can. So the first, uh, first person who gets attention in verses 12 to 16 is the younger son. And this younger son co- comes to his father, and what does he request? He wants his inheritance now. Yeah. Yeah, and what are his, really, after he addresses his dad, what are his first two words? Give me. Give me. Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it. Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Mm. Now, how would inheritances work in first century Judaism? When this you... was a, Go ahead, ben. a situation where in the oldest son would ge- generally get two-thirds of the father's estate and inheritance, and the younger son would generally get one-third. One the thing that's interesting about this, though, is in this time, a lot of this man's wealth would have been held in real estate, um, things that would be generally difficult to liquidate. Yeah, good. And and just like it is today, when would an inheritance typically be paid out? When the father After. died. When the father died. Okay. Good. So what is when the younger son comes to the father and makes this request, give me my share of the property, what is he effectively saying to the father? I I you're dead to me. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I want your money. And I want to live mm-hmm. my own own way right now. Yeah. And how do you think Jesus' audience would have heard that request? They would have probably gasped. Like, that just wasn't a thing then. No. It, Maybe was, the biggest insult he could have given his father. Correct. Highly offensive. So the son does this unthinkable thing that I want my stuff. You know, I want it more than I want you. Um, and the only thing more shocking than what the younger son asks is how the father responds. What does the father do? And he divided his property between them. I mean, he, he literally does it. He does it. Okay, and Ben, you already got us onto something, and it's just worth slowing down here a little bit. Um, this man's wealth, at least some of it, and likely most of it, would have been wrapped up in his land. In order to 
divide his property and liquidate his assets. Let's just talk about how that process goes. What would he have had to do? It's, it's probably embarrassing to sell a lot of property and to give it to this wayward son who's going to squander it. He's probably known within the community. So it's just like, I can't believe he does it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you put something on the market and nobody knows about it. And not to mention in first century Israel, your, your ownership of land is like tied into your identity. It's passed down generation to generation. Um, so his identity's at stake. Um, it's certainly embarrassing. It would have been public. People are going to be asking, dude, why are you selling your property? How's he going to answer that question? So the father is on the hook for the son's selfish behavior. Um, but he does it. And he, he divides the property. And then how does the younger son respond? What are we told about him? Just put, maybe put in your own words what the younger son does with his share. In modern day terms, he goes to Vegas and blows it all on all the stuff in Vegas. Yeah. And he goes through his stuff very quickly. Yes. And I, I love the detail. He took it into a far country. He's running. He's running from something. Yes. And he wants to get away from his father. Yes. He goes as far away as he can where there are no people that he knows, no reputations to uphold, no accountability. He goes to a far country and he squanders his property in reckless living. That's where we get this term prodigal son. This like lavish spending, uh, extravagant uh, living. So he spends it all. He sends it. And what are we told in verse 14? Famine comes. Yeah. And he had already spent I, it all. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, just he, he'd spent everything and he began to be in need. Yes. Man, it's an all too familiar story, isn't it? Think something's going to deliver. Spend it all. And you realize, man, I'm, I'm in a deeper place than I ever wanted to be. And that's where this guy finds himself. Um, so it gets so desperate for him that where does he end up? He just needs food. He, he literally has nothing. So he hires himself out to someone in the countryside and he gets a job feeding pigs. Okay, and, and what's the significance of the pigs for the Jewish reader? They're the filthiest animal in the world. They wouldn't eat pig. They, I mean, like, it's, it's just, like, completely off limits, the dirtiest animal to them. Yeah. Pigs were unclean. You wouldn't even eat them. And now here is this Jewish boy from an upstanding Jewish family who's not only around the pigs, he's, he's eager to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And the picture is that this guy's hit complete rock bottom. And, and still, he couldn't, even though that's what he desired, no one gave him anything. So it's just a picture of his dire circumstance. Um, and given the context and who Jesus is talking to, who do you think this son represents? Tax collectors and sinners. Yeah. These are the ones who've run from God. These are the ones who've sought to find satisfaction and meaning on their own terms and it hadn't worked out for him. And so that's kind of the, the first portrait, this younger son. Well, while this younger son is longing for pig food, we have a good little phrase to start verse 17. And what does it say? 
when he came to himself. Yeah, what's what's the idea here? He became sober minded and realized, wait a minute, um, my people who work for my father have plenty of food at the table, and maybe I can go back. Maybe this isn't the best play for me. Maybe I can somehow get my way back around my father. Exactly. Yeah. Sober mind is the perfect word for it. And and if you're listening to this and you've can kind of see yourself in the younger brother, a great question to ask. And a question that actually helped me become a Christian was I had an older basketball coach looked at me and my sinful lifestyle at one point. He just said, how's it working out for you? Mm -hmm. And it's a good question. Yeah. And that's what this younger son is coming up against. It's not really working out for him. Well, so he comes up with a game plan. And what's his game plan? He's going to apologize. He just wants to be taken back in, not as a son, but as a hired servant. Okay. Yeah. And and how would you describe what he's doing here? He wants to repay his father for his sin. He wants to try to pay it back by working for him, as if that will even them back up. Yeah, exactly. See, he's well-intentioned, but he, that's right. He wants to solve his own problem. And he thinks that maybe he can. He's not worthy to be a son. He's given that up. But maybe he could just go back and be a servant for his dad. Um, He says, I'm no longer worthy. And he's going to try to work his way back into becoming worthy. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to see. He's got half of it right. Exactly. He he ain't worthy. (laughs) Yeah. You you ain't getting back by working, Bob. Uh, All right. So now in, in verse 20, the narrative shifts. And it it moves us from the younger son to the father. And so the son rose to come home and to carry out his plan. And when he did, what does verse 20 tell us? While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion on him. And I just love that when he was still a long ways off, because like William, you and I have talked about, that means the father was looking. He was Mm. hoping. Yes. Yes. Come on. Yeah. So imagine this. If you're the dad, okay, I'm glad I'm not the dad. I'm glad the dad represents God. If I'm the dad, it would be easy to be offended. It would be easy to be angered. It would be easy to be frustrated, to have my talk ready for my son. That's not the dad we see in this picture. We see a dad like Ben described looking for his son. And he's not just looking for him. When he finally sees his son on the horizon, what does the father feel? Compassion. Yeah. Yeah. What's the idea there? I mean, I think if it was me, my first thought would be like still frustrated or maybe some anger or whatever kind of anger thoughts might come in. But his first feeling was compassion. Yeah. Just pity. Love I would want to shame my son, you know, or, you know, reiterate all his wrongs. And I can't right. believe you did this. Yeah, right. It's not he, how not how God is, boys. <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> he's looking for this boy who's run away, who's taken his stuff. He feels compassion on him, pity for him. It's like his guts overflow with love for his son. And then what does he do at the end of verse 20? He runs and embraces him and kisses him. And back in this time, when you're 
an esteemed man like this, number one, you don't run. And because running requires like lifting your robes and stuff. And it's like an embarrassing thing. And so he just literally completely forgets about himself and just in compassion and in love run towards his son and embraces him and kisses him. Mm. Yes. Ben, we get made fun of for our out of bounds stakes legs. Cause we always wear pants. I mean, this, this <laughs> white, these white legs would be a whole nother color. <laughs> They, they haven't seen they haven't seen sun in twenty years. Oh, but they take off. And he so just imagine this father embracing this son. Uh, you can guess that tears are flowing. There, he hugs him. He kisses him. And what happens next? What's the younger he starts son? Starts his speech. Yeah, he starts his speech. He start, yeah, he's like he's like okay, I got this play. I'm gonna run and like dad, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right now. You know. Yeah, and what's the father do as the son starts the speech? He kind of interrupts him. Yeah, he quit paying attention to it. Yeah, he does not <laughs> give a crud what the son is saying. And, and what does the father say? He, Bring quickly the robe, put it on him, put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, like kill the fattened calf, like let's go, let's celebrate. Yes, and, and what's the idea here? He's he's more focused that his son repented and came home than he is on what the son actually did to him. Yes. And, let, and he wants to celebrate that. Yes. And let's talk about All right, so we got a robe, we got a ring, we got a fattened calf. Why is all this stuff important as it pertains to this story? Are the servants wearing robes and rings? No. No. What's the father doing? Restoring he's, him back into the family, it, it yeah. appears. You, is that right? Yes. He's welcoming him back as a son. Bring the best robe. That would be the father's robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Meat was a rarity in the day. The fattened calf was the best meat there is. He's saying, mm -hmm. biggest party for the most honored guest, my son. He was dead. Now he's alive. He's lost. Now he's found. Let's party. Mm. So wow. the father is generously without any reservation, just lavishly welcoming his son back. Mm. Um, and it becomes clear in verse 25 that this is a huge celebration. There's music, there's dancing, there's feasting. Um, so quickly before we move on from the father, how would you describe him in this middle paragraph, what's he like? Lavishes, just ready to lavish grace on mm -hmm. his children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He gives what he doesn't have to, to someone who doesn't deserve it. Yeah, no doubt. And if the son was prodigal or reckless in his spending, now the father is prodigal. He is reckless in his love. He's mm. uh, not, not or reckless is not the right word, but extravagant over the top. Um, yeah. Okay. And nothing. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. No, I was just going to say, it kind of makes me think of the Imago Day that we are, we are made in the image of God, and the Father probably had a lot of stuff concerning him at the time, but it's interesting how Jesus pointed out what he was doing in that moment was not working or any other task. It was he was looking for a son. Mm. So it just it it's humbling to know how much he cares about us. Yes. And what's, I think, already been made clear, um, who does the father in the story represent? 
God the Father. Yeah, this is what God is like. If you're wondering what God is like, He loves to welcome sinners home. Mm -hmm. He loves to offer grace. Uh, One song that I love called His Mercy is More, one of the um, lines in the middle verse says that He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, Mm -hmm. they are many, but His mercy is more. And that's the picture that the Bible gives us of God the Father. Okay, but there's mm. one more one more character in the story. Uh, and we're introduced to another son in verse 25. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe what ensues in verses 25 to 27? The older brother's at his work post. He's doing what he does best. He's working. Yep. And he hears all this commotion. He called one of the servants over and says, what is this all about? And then the servant you know, lets him know the news that not only has his little brother come, but that Papa Bear has killed the fattened calf and is ready to party. Yes. And how does older bro respond? In 28. And he refused to go into the party. Yeah. He was angry and he refused to go in. So now what does the father do with the older brother? Next part of verse 28. He has to, come out to talk to the older brother. Yeah. So let's get in the story now, right? There's a celebration that's happening. Word has gotten out. So, and what does a party normally mean? Who comes to a party? Guests, right? So people are coming and now you've got this potential heated conversation, confrontation between father and older son. Um, where there's music and feasting and dancing on the inside. Um, but this older son is unhappy with how it's going. And mm-hmm. so the fa- father's pleading with the older son to come in. And in verse 29 and 30, we're told about, uh, we're kind of get a window into the older son's reasons for his anger. What are we told in 29 and 30? He's proud of his resume. Mm-hmm. He, he wants the attention to be on himself and his dedication um, and his obedience. And he's also focusing not only on his accolades, but the neglect that he feels the father has for his work, that he doesn't feel honored by his father just because he never got a young goat to celebrate with his friends. And it's funny how he says to celebrate with my friends, not to party as a family, but he wants, he wants what he wants too. Yes. So well said. So he's angry that this son who squandered all this stuff gets a party. And how does, what's the first word that he addresses his dad with in verse 29? Look. Look. I mean, how do you think that lands on a patriarch? I mean, that's probably modern day is you listen to me. Right. (laughs) Right. With a, with a finger pointed at your dad's chest, like, Ooh, (laughs) this is not good. Right. Yes. Um, okay, but before we before we judge him, let's let's identify with him. Okay, mm-hmm. so what's he thinking, and why? And if you were in his shoes, what would you be thinking? Hmm. I think it'd be a tendency for all of us to feel that way. We know it's not the gospel. We know we don't work to uh, earn our salvation. But I think if we're all honest, we've experienced that feeling before of 
you know, cause the world we live in is so transactional. You do this, you get this, you do this, you get that. Um, and it's easy for that to bleed into our faith, which that is the opposite of the gospel. Mm-hmm. What would you say, Ben? I think that, I mean, certainly we can all see ourselves in both the younger brother and the older brother, but I mean, this parable could be really called two lost sons. Um, they're, they're dealing with their lostness in different ways. One is, you know, squandered everything, trying to live his own way, finding his own way, and it doesn't work. And now we see the older son who's living dutifully saying, God, you owe me what I want. But they're both after the father's stuff. They're just going about it a different way. Mm-hmm. And when I, Tim Keller's book, um, Prodigal God, um, really shook my life because I realized that I had been living my life basically dutifully for so many years saying, God, I'm going to live dutifully and you're going to give me what I want, which is good golf and the wife I want. And, and I mean, I, when I realized I was the elder brother who is much more in danger of never seeing his sin, um, I wept because God was so gracious to show it to me. So I completely identify with the way this older brother is going about it. Yeah. It's well said, Ben. Yeah, real well said. Um, And it's, y'all are all over kind of where we're headed, so I don't want to belabor it. But not only does this guy say to his dad, look, these many years I've served you, served you, I never disobeyed you. But that next phrase, yet you never what? You never gave gave me me a goat. You never gave me. You remember how the young son started? Father, give me. Mm. Now you hear the older son saying, you never gave me. So Mm. the Mm. older son wanted just what the younger son wanted. He -hmm. wanted the father's stuff more than he wanted the father. He just Mm -hmm. had a different way of getting it. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, He set out to get it by performing, by earning his way. Um, Okay, so at the end of the parable... How does the father in the story appeal to the older son? Verses 31 and 32. He tells him. You're always. Go ahead. He he tells him uh, that you're always with me and that everything the father has is the son's. And then he reminds him why they're celebrating, uh, that his brother was dead and is now alive and that his brother was lost and is now found. Yeah. So he. he Which is kind of aimed at the. Yeah. At the at the Pharisees, right? Because he doesn't. We don't know if the older brother comes in, right? Right. So he's. I mean, Jesus is. We know who the audience is from verse one. He's aiming this right at the Pharisees. What will you do with me? Right. Yes. Which because is just so. Let's, it's it's so um, you know provoking to all of us and obviously certainly incredibly provoking to these Pharisees at the time who were living dutifully like this older brother. Yes. Okay. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up and I want everybody to make sure you see this connection. Just like the younger son represented the tax collectors and sinners. So the older son represents the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders who are grumbling that Jesus is welcoming these sinful people to follow him. And it's as if by leaving this story, uh, unfinished, Jesus is saying to those Pharisees, to those religious leaders, what are you going to do? Are you going to mm-hmm. come back in and join the feast? Or are you going to stay stubborn mm-hmm. and outside? Balls, mm-hmm. balls in your court. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's let's move to a meaning um, to Jesus' intent for this story. And I think three things really come to the service before we kind of apply it to ourselves. The first is what it teaches us about lostness. And Ben mm-hmm. Ben's already helped us here, but let's just make that point one more time. What does this parable teach us about lostness? It can definitely look two different ways, right? We can go about our lostness in wanting to get from God um, and, and by just taking it and by squandering everything while living, living the way we want to live. And, or we can go about our lostness with dutifully saying, God, see, I'm good. You owe me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just like you mentioned, Ben, that second kind of lostness, that religious lostness where we mm-hmm. think we can perform to put God in our debt. That's mm-hmm. in some ways a more dangerous kind of lostness because we don't always see that we're lost. We think I'm, Correct. Doing, I'm doing the right things. I'm going to the right places. I'm giving the right money. And we think we're earning our way. And the Bible would say, no, unless you come completely based on the grace of God, uh, mm-hmm. you're lost. If you keep a scorecard of <clears throat> how you are with the Lord, you're lost. If you keep a scorecard and compare yourself that you're better than these other people, you're lost. Like when someone asks you if God, if you were to appear before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Our good friend Alistair Begg says, if it starts with I, you completely missed it. <laughs> how, how much do I wish that Alistair Begg was my good friend? <laughs> the way he talks is just incredible. Oh, it man. is. Hey, we need to get Alistair Begg on the podcast. That should be a good for 2023. I think he would do it. Um, okay. The, the next thing that I think this parable aims to, to teach us um, is about how Jesus wants us to respond to him and how he wants us to respond or react when other people respond to them. So remember, parables are always after persuading. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think this parable wants to do for us is to persuade us to come home mm-hmm. and to persuade us to rejoice when others come home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's particularly aimed at the, at the older brother, at the Pharisees. Um, so... How should the Pharisees be responding when sinners are brought home? They should be celebrating. Mm-hmm. They should be happy and joy-filled. Yeah. And likewise for us, when like the the person that has got on our wrong side or the person who's squandered their life away comes back to the Lord, what response should that elicit in us? Joy and gladness with them. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the primary points of the parable. Remember, that was the point of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And I think Jesus is hammering that idea home to his audience. You boys should be celebrating that these people mm-hmm. are coming out of, de- you know, devastating lifestyles to, to come mm-hmm. back to me and find salvation. And whatever it is that you tend to put your stock in, obviously for us, it can be it can be golf or our family looking a certain way or, um, you know, these idols when it, you know, 
when someone else who, you know, let's say has a reckless life wins a golf tournament, you know, the tendency for us to be is like, what? You know, and, and all of a sudden that's like exposes so much out of our heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so um, this this passage is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then last and primarily right in the center par- paragraph is the father. And so what does this parable teach us that God himself is like? Mm. And, and Webb, why don't you take this since you gave us the 10 second challenge to start? Make that point right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think his first impulses towards sinners is, you know, compassion, joy, um, welcoming, eager to bless, eager to give grace, mercy, eager to overlook our offenses. Um, and we're so not like that, but the call is for us to be like that, right? We we are, we're called to be holy as Jesus is holy. And so God is always our standard, always our inspiration. He is it. He is perfect. And so, um, I think we said it on an earlier podcast, you know, to the listeners, God's not after, uh, killing our joy. Look what he does. The, the younger brother was trying to find joy, didn't find it in many different pursuits, but now is, he's back with his father, and, they, and his father wants to party. He wants to celebrate. Yeah. I mean, what better joy could he have given his son than that? So, Yeah. And, and Ben, you've mentioned already, it's easy to identify both, both with the younger brother and the older brother, and probably each person at different times in their life can sort of see themselves in the story in a different place. Why, why don't we close with this? Uh, two pieces of advice that you guys can give. One is, what is this story saying to the younger brothers that are listening? And then the second, what is this story saying to the older brothers that are listening? So let's let's give advice to the younger brother. What is this story telling the younger brothers out there? God's not so mad at you that he's not going to welcome you. The very reason that Jesus Christ came is to forgive sinners. Mm-hmm. And so... It, there's no strings attached with he's not trying to kill your joy like Webb said. He really does say, come home, and um, he really does want you to come home. And there's just no greater gift than a father who's full of grace. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, and then Webb, what does this say to older brothers? How, how might this passage instruct the older brothers that could be listening? Yeah, I think um, if if you think you're doing really well, and like I said earlier, that scorecard looks pretty clean, that's probably evidence of a danger in your heart. Um, Jesus, uh, in another parable, talks about the prayer of a tax collector and the prayer of a Pharisee. And the, the what I remember most is that Jesus said the tax collector's prayer sent him uh, down to his house justified because all the tax collector said was have mercy on me, a sinner where the Pharisees prayer was, I've done all these things that you wanted me to do. I didn't do these other things. Um, So again, that Pharisee has his scorecard and it looks pretty clean, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. The tax collector with all his sin and all that he's done is justified because he repented. And so to those who think their scorecard is clean, repent of that. Uh, self-righteousness. The standard is not pretty good and fairly bogey-free. The standard's perfection. We all fall short. Christ was perfect for us. Amen.
Yeah, there's a little phrase in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, that says that we are to repent from dead works. And a lot yeah. of times we think we repent from our biggest sins, and we do. But we also need to repent for the righteous things that we think earn our way to God. We need to mm. repent of thinking that. Um, That's good. Last, last thought. Who takes on the debt for these boys to come home? Who takes on the cost? The father. The father completely takes on the debt when he restores the the younger son and reinstates him into the family. He's got at least a third less of everything he had at, at all costs to himself. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. that's a picture of how God would provide his own son to take on our debt, which is what we're going to look at next week. We're actually looking at Pharisee and tax collector next week. How we can be made hey, by we'll, God. William, give the, give the quote about works, works. Yeah, George Whitfield, a uh, preacher in the 1700s, um, in his very last sermon, he's one of the best preachers to ever live, and he's standing on this barrel up in New England, preaching to thousands of people, and he yells out, works, works. You think you can get to heaven by works? You got a better chance of climbing to the moon on a rope made out of sand. <laughs> How good is that? That is great. I mean, hey, trust, so, in, trust in Christ alone and come home to that father. And here's how that father's waiting for you. Whether you've been mm-hmm. self-righteous or whether you've been utterly sinful, he is waiting with arms outstretched, running to you with compassion in his heart. And he's just saying, come. come um, all right. Well, any final word to you boys? Nope. That, no. That was the final word right there. That was from said. From Whitfield to Willie Kane, that's enough. <laughs> Let's not compare those two. Um, well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy Podcast. If you've got questions, you can still email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle Bible Caddy. Next week, we're looking at the Pharisee and the tax collector. And until then, let's get into the Word and let the Word get into us.